Well, good morning. How are we? I mean, it's amazing to see everybody here today. I'm so glad to see all the smiling faces. And for those of you that are guests with us today, we want to say welcome, just like Jason said. We believe everyone matters to God at Vertical Life Church, and so you matter. And we hope that the time you spend with us is an encouraging time for you today, and that you sense the presence of God and and are able to uh, get a glimpse of his plan for you in this place. My name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor here, so I want to say welcome. And uh, to catch you up to speed, we are going through uh, a new teaching series in the book of Psalms, just highlighting some of my favorite uh, Psalms I've d discovered or God's brought to my attention over the years. And um, we're kind of digging into his word to see what uh, his songs are like. The book of Psalms are songs. They're songs that were sung by the nation of Israel in the ancient days. And, and so to see what God inspired them during that time where he was writing the scriptures uh, through his prophets and through his leaders, to see the songs that God uh, had written through these men, it's going to bring encouragement to our hearts and even some healing to our souls. And so we're in Psalm chapter 3. If you have your Bible with you today, you can turn there, Psalm chapter 3. Or if you have your uh, Bible app on your phone, you can navigate that way. And uh, while you're uh, getting your phone out to navigate to the scriptures, if you want to sign in on Facebook and check in, give us a shout out, tell people where you are and what experience you had today, we'd appreciate that. Just helps get the word out uh, for our church. Uh, but uh, in Psalm chapter 3, we're going to kind of set this psalm up because there's a backstory you need to know. The, the heading in Psalm chapter 3, if you have uh, a Bible, should say something to the effect of this psalm David wrote, during his time he fled from his son Absalom. Absalom's story is kind of a unique story. This story uh, is uh, a part of David's life, and this is a story that's not normally discussed in church because it includes some very dark moments in David's family's life and their history. This is one of those parts of the Bible you're like, is that really in there? I mean, this is God's word. Can we really talk about this stuff, right? You'd think you'd, you'd see this on a soap opera or one of those HBO shows that parents tell kids they're not allowed to watch, right? This is one of those situations here. And you ask the question, is that the same David, you know, the guy I, I grew up, you know, wanted to be like, the one that killed the giant? Yeah, it's the same David, same guy. Right? Uh, this is the very same David. And what we see here in David's life is we see David's sins coming back to haunt him. God reveals to us in the scripture there's something that's called a generational curse or generational sins. These are sins that we refuse to deal with, we refuse to repent of in our lives. And the enemy is allowed to work in our life to the point that these sins are then passed on to future generations, our children. Or our children's children. And we can see this in the scripture. And here in this story, we can see David's sins coming back to haunt him through the lives of his children. If you remember, uh, David had multiple wives. That was his first mistake. But uh, he had multiple wives. One of those wives was a woman named Bathsheba. If you remember the story of Bathsheba, uh, she was not married to David originally. David was the king. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He saw her bathing on the top of her uh, house, and uh, lust filled his heart, and so he conspired to get to know her a little bit better, and eventually actually raped her. And because she became pregnant, uh, he tried to concoct this plan to have her husband come back from the battle so he can kind of cover his sin to get the husband to uh, be with the wife, and then she could pass the child off as his son. But Uriah was an upright, upstanding man of faith and did not betray his fellow uh, countrymen during a time of battle. And so because David couldn't cover his sin, he sends Uriah off to be killed, basically murders a man so he could have his wife. This is the David that we know and love. And here in this story, David's son, one of his sons, begins to take on the traits of his father. Uh, David had uh, another child with Bathsheba, the name of Solomon, you know, King Solomon. And uh, his other wives also had children. He had a son named Absalom. And Absalom had a sister named Tamar, who was obviously very beautiful. Uh, David had another son named Abnon, who was the half-brother of Tamar and Absalom. And Abnon had a thing for his steps or his half-sister, Tamar. He was infatuated with her. So much so, he decided to take a play out of his father's book and concoct a scheme 
to get Tamar to come visit him in his room. And when she did, he raped her. And everyone was upset. Uh, David was upset. Absalom was upset. But David, knowing, you know, much like we do when we see our kids doing the same things that we've done, there's a little bit of grace there. There's a little bit of, you know, I know what that's like. And David does the godly thing and forgives his son. But Absalom, his brother, did not. Bitterness and anger filled his heart. Some time passed and Absalom was so angry with Amnon and never let this situation go that he decided that he was going to concoct his own plan and he was going to kill his half-brother. And that's what he does. He invites his brother to a party, gets him drunk, and then orders his men to kill him. And it happens. Word gets out to David, and David is obviously heartbroken, but also enraged. And so Absalom stays uh, out of the kingdom for some period of time. He uh, isolates himself to give the king time to simmer down. And over time, uh, his cousin and David's nephew, Joab, realizes that now David's missing his son Absalom. Time has gone by, allowing for that forgiveness to take place. So Joab works it out for Absalom to come back into the kingdom. And while Absalom is there enjoying the forgiveness of his father, does he take that opportunity to show his father how much he appreciates the forgiveness, how much he respects his dad, how much sorrow he had for what he did? And the answer is no. Absalom begins to create trouble. He begins to rally against his father, eventually leading up into a coup where he forces David to have to pack up and leave and uh, lose his kingdom. In 2 Samuel 15, 23 through 30, this is what the word of the Lord records. It says, as David was leaving the city, fleeing his son's advance, everyone cried loudly as the king and his followers passed by. They crossed the Kidron Valley, and then they went out toward the wilderness. Zadok and all the Levites also came along, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the ark of God, and Abathar offered sacrifices until everyone had passed out of the city. Then the king instructed Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. If the Lord sees fit, David said, he'll bring me back to see the ark in the tabernacle again. But if he is through with me, then let him do what it seems best to him. The king also told Zadok the priest, look, here's my plan. You and Abathar should return quietly to the city with your son, Ahimez, and Abathar's son, Jonathan, and I will stop at the shallows of the Jordan River and wait there for a report from you. So Zadok and Abathar took the ark of God back to the city and stayed there. David walked up to the road of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and his feet were bare as a sign of mourning. And the people who were with him covered their heads and wept as they climbed the hill. So not only was David devastated about what was going on in his life, but so were everyone around him. Everyone was affected by this family drama. And even though it seemed like David was doing everything right, he was offering forgiveness, he was offering grace, much like God has done for us in our sin. He was doing everything right in the situation. In a moment, he lost his job, he lost his house, he lost members of his family. He even lost the Ark of the Covenant of God, which in that time represented the very presence of God. So in this moment, as the Ark is departing from him, it even appears as if he lost his God. How long has it been, church, since you've been in a season of loss? How long has it been? Because sooner or Later, every one of us are going to go through difficult times. We're going to go through a season or a period of loss, difficult seasons in our life. And when those seasons come, even when you feel like you're doing everything right, it seems like yet everything is going wrong. You can't understand why this is happening to you. You don't understand why it's you that has to go through this season. And to make matters worse, you begin thinking through all of your failures and all of your shortcomings, every mistake you've made over the years, and you begin to blame yourself like David. You begin to justify your circumstances as a punishment from God. Oh, I deserve it. God deserves to punish me. Look at 2 Samuel 15, 25. It says this. It says, The king instructed Zadok to take the ark of God back into the city. If the Lord sees fit, David said, he'll bring me back to see the ark and the tabernacle again. But if he is through with me, then let him do what seems best to him. Doesn't it feel like sometimes that God is just through with you? Or you feel like maybe he should be through with you because of what you've done? 
You wonder, how can he continue to love you and forgive you time and time and time again when you keep making a mess of things? I know that to be true in my own life. See, it's one thing to feel lonely when you don't have any friends or a significant other in your life, but it's another thing to feel like you don't even have God. That's another level of hopelessness. When we enter those seasons of loss, of trial, those feelings, those negative feelings are all we seem to focus on, which is why here in Psalm chapter 3, this song that was written out of this scenario, out of the story, this page in David's life, David begins this song as a song of mourning, a song of loss, a song of struggle, a song of desperation. Look at Psalm chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, O Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue him. In other words, you're unredeemable, David. You're a lost cause, David. You're not even worthy of God's love, David. These are the lies the enemy spoke over him through the mouths of the people in opposition against him. And these are the very same words the enemy speaks to us to resonate in our minds and dominate our thoughts. And these are the lies he speaks in order to open the door for us to take steps to walk in hopelessness, to give him full power and control over our lives. Satan wants to create a dark and depressed world around you that robs you of joy, robs you of your sense of purpose, that robs you of any hope of having faith or any spiritual freedom. And right here, after David declares the accusations of the enemy that God will never rescue him, he's not even worth a rescue, he uses a word in the Hebrew language. This is the word salah or selah. And it's translated here in Psalm 3 in the English as interlude. That word selah, or interlude, most scholars agree is a musical notation. It, it's a command to the instrumentalist, but those performing the song. Uh, and it indicates an instrumental part of the song. A couple of weeks ago, there's a blog that I follow online called The Babylon Bee. If, if you've never uh, read anything from the Babylon Bee, I highly recommend it. It's a satire uh, site. It's, uh, it pokes fun at everything church. So if you've been in church your whole life and you just want a good laugh, just reading the headlines of the, the blog post is enough for the day. I mean, it just lightens my spirit. And the other day, a, a title of a blog post from the Babylon Bee it was entitled this. It said, Ancient Documents Confirm Selah Best Translated Extended Guitar Solo. All right, so that, that's some worship leader humor for you. You know, poking fun at the different battles between traditional and contemporary music and how, you know, we, we are in our modern era. Uh, but uh, uh, that just uh, reminded me of that as we were looking at this passage this week. But this word selah is an important word. It's not something just to skim over. Because even though in our worship we sang songs today, we don't use this word selah on the screen during worship. We still have those selah moments. They still exist. They're the moments in the song where we're not singing any words. It's just instrumental music. And the instruments are playing. Those are those Selah moments. And the Selah moments in each song are provided for us in our worship to enable us, to direct us, to pause, to reflect on what was just sung. To meditate on the words you just declared with your mouth. To repeat them to yourself or to let them sink down deep into your heart as you meditate on them. Those Selah moments are not just a moments for you to pause and wait for the next line of the song to roll around. No, it's a moment for you to engage yourself fully in what you're doing, to go deeper spiritually in that moment, to connect with the concept you are singing out to the Lord. Those are the Selah moments. And here David... As he's writing about this situation, his predicament, his negativity, he writes about his hopelessness, his fear of being abandoned by God. He's speaking these lies that the enemy are speaking to him. He indicates for us, the reader, or those singing this song, a musical command, which is to dwell on what he just said for a moment. To dwell on this negativity for a moment. 
And this is so easy to miss and so easy to skip over, but I think it's masterful what he's doing here. The kids would say that, that I work with downtown in Flint that it's so clutch what he's doing right now. It's so fire. This is, in my day, we would say off the hook or off the easy. You know, this is what we would say in my day. But this is, David is so brilliant, and you could see the hand of God working in this moment as he's getting us to focus on this. Because by getting you to meditate on the lies, on the pain that he's feeling, what he's doing is he's getting you to face the heart behind what's making you so fearful. What's driving that fear in your life? What's driving that sense of hopelessness? What's in your life that's allowing to you, that you're allowing to steal your joy, to allow your joy to be taken from you? It's not because the reality that he's seeing, he's feeling, he's thinking, that reality of despair is real. No, it's because that's the reality your enemy wants you to believe. That's the lens that he wants you to be looking through. The enemy is trying to get you to see that, that this is the ultimate plan that he has for your life. And David, by getting you to meditate on this for a moment, David's trying to get you to understand that this is what I am thinking as I'm going through this situation with Absalom. This is what I'm feeling. These are, this is what's being said about me. This is the opposition that I'm encountering. This is what I feel like complaining about, which echoes some of the very same thoughts and feelings that we have. But it's a false narrative of our situation. You see, there is a measure for our reality that exists beyond our perceptions, our feelings, and that is the truth of Almighty God. You see, David recognized the lies. That's why he wrote them down. But then he faced the lies of the enemy with what he had been believing in his heart. And he overcame these lies by turning his attention to the truth of God. He said, though I feel helpless, though I feel weak, though I feel like a failure, though I feel abandoned and alone, though I feel like no one loves me, I feel like God has left me or hates me, though I feel like I'm getting it from all angles, I'm being bombarded from every side. Look what he says in verse 3 of chapter 3. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. It doesn't matter what I think, what I feel, what I'm encountering, what I experience. You, oh God, are a shield around me. Were his enemies on every side? Yes, they were. There was no place he could go to get away from the enemy. But there was also no place he could go to get away from the very presence of Almighty God. Psalm 139, 7 through 10 says this, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. You see, it doesn't matter where the enemy is. The enemy could be all around, poised and ready for attack. But the news for the child of God and the believer in Jesus Christ is that God is right there as a shield of protection as well. And what is that shield that God uses to protect us? Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, he says, In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrow, arrows of the devil. The shield of faith. Your faith is part of the covering God has given to you through the armor of God. God uses our faith to not only protect us, but deflect the attacks of the enemy to keep us from defeat. Your faith keeps the lies of the enemy from harming your soul. Your faith is what keeps you hoping in the fulfillment of God's promises. Your faith keeps you moving forward in obedience regardless of your circumstances. Your faith and your knowledge of your faith keeps you on the right track. Faith moves you forward. Faith moves you towards the attackers in victory, not fleeing in fear and in defeat. See, a weak faith makes you vulnerable. makes you susceptible to the lies of the enemy. It makes you an easy target. Because with a weak faith, there will be very little to cover you as a shield. 
to deflect the spiritual attack. So you won't be ignoring the lies of the enemy, but you'll be absorbing the lies of the enemy and believing the lies of the enemy. And in so doing, you won't be focused on God's faithfulness. You won't be focused on God's promises. You'll be taking steps backward, not forward. And when your faith is weak, it's when you're most vulnerable. But when your faith is strong in the Lord, it doesn't matter how many foes surround you or how many oppositions the enemy sets up against you, from what direction they bring the attack, or even at what time of day the attack comes. For the Lord is your shield. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul tells us that God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So as the church, even though we're not living in the days of the Old Testament, that when it comes to the promises of God that he gave through his prophets in the old days, that they are yes to us, that we are a part of that fulfillment. We have access and participate in the fulfillment of those promises. And one of his prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 54, 17, Isaiah gives a promise of God to the, his people. Here's what Isaiah says. He says, in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Selah. Let that truth fill your heart today. As it pertains to God's people facing opposition and attack from the enemy. So many times we wonder how the outcome is going to uh, transpire or what the outcome of the spiritual battles we face will be because we have this crisis of faith. But here God says no weapon formed against you will prosper. That he is going to guarantee the victory, the outcome of your situation. Let's read that verse together again and speak it out loud with me as a declaration of faith today. It says, but in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Declare that in faith and in truth in this place today. God has spoken this over you as his children. This isn't something from the olden days. This is something that applies readily today. If you are a child of God, you got to believe this with all you got. With everything you are, no matter how strong the enemy looks that is surrounding you. No matter how steep the obstacle in front of you, you got to believe it. No matter what discouraging voices are speaking into your life, no matter how grave your circumstances, you should declare this promise with your mouth and verify it by your deeds. No weapon turned against you will succeed. And by following your faith forward, those voices will become silent because the Lord, our God, is a shield for us, and it's through our faith that we remain protected from any attack. There's a story in the Old Testament about the prophet Elisha and his servant. Elisha was not very popular with the enemies of Israel because God kept telling them what the enemy was going to do, and Israel was able to have a, a leg up on the enemy, and so they could never win any battles. And the king of the Arameans got so frustrated with Elisha and, and how he kept tipping the nation of Israel off before they would attack them that he decided to put a hit out on Elisha. And uh, he uh, sent some soldiers to try to find him. They finally tracked him down to the city of Dothan. And there the, the king gave orders for the army to surround the city. And they did. They surrounded him on every side. And Elisha had a servant. And his servant started wigging out. He was freaking. I mean, he's like, what are we going to do? They're everywhere. We can't, we can't escape. We're going to die. And Elisha was just calm and collected. He wasn't freaking out. It's because his faith wasn't in his own ability to fight. His faith was in the Lord. And because his faith was in God, instead of panicking, Elisha prayed. And here's what Elisha prayed. 2 Kings 6, 17 says, Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. 
See, Elisha was able to stay calm because his eyes didn't see through the lens of his own strengths and weaknesses. He didn't see through the lens of his successes and failures. He didn't see through the lens of his situations and circumstances. Elisha saw through the lens of his faith, and he knew he had nothing to fear because the Lord was with him. He felt the presence of the army of God with his soul long before he ever saw them with his own eyes. Oh, that our eyes, church, would be opened in this place today. But even more so that our faith could rise in our hearts that we could begin seeing without seeing. And if we could, we would see that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But we wrestle against spiritual forces. People are merely pawns of the enemy. People aren't the problem. From the gunman at the airport to the boss that just won't leave you alone. People aren't the problem. There's a dark force behind everything we face. And so the way we view our lives, our perceptions, and our circumstances, ultimately, ultimately, the depth of our fear will be determined by the measure of our faith. The depth of our fear will be measured or determined by the measure of our faith. And it's our faith that is not only going to protect us from attack, but also empower us in the name of Jesus, to silence the powers that are behind our struggles, to rise up, to overcome, to move forward in the face of opposition. And Jesus modeled this for us in the New Testament. Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days, and there he was tempted of the devil. And on three different occasions, the enemy brought lies, the enemy brought attack, and Jesus responded with the word of God. He responded in faith, declaring the truth of God. You see, the more faith you walk, the less smack the enemy can talk. Resist the devil and he will flee, flee from you. How do we resist? We resist by faith through trusting in his word. The enemy's attacks may damage us, but they will not overcome us. Because no weapon formed against us will prosper. Paul to the Corinthians in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, he says, We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Christ, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. And we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. Faith is going to motivate you to action. And though, even though we live in trouble sometimes, you can't turn on the news without seeing the problems that we face each and every day. And though we walk through these doors bearing the scars of painful situations, our faith moves us from weakness to strength. Our faith moves us from sorrow to joy, not the other way around, which is so often the experience. But just like the psalmist that Paul was quoting, whose faith led them to speak. We too are faith-forward people. Our faith in God should move us not to give in to our circumstances, but to speak with authority over our circumstances, to declare the truth of God over our situations and rest on his promises, affirming our faith as we wield the power of God that he's given to us through Jesus Christ. Because we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Verse 3 of Psalms chapter 3, David says, You, O Lord, are a shield around me. And then he says, You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. David, as he left the city, tore his clothes. He put a covering over his head to show his grief. He removed his shoes to walk barefoot through the wilderness as a sign of deep sorrow. See, a person walking in defeat, a person who is troubled, a person who is weak in faith, they walk with their head down low. It's a sign of grief as a sign of sorrow. A person walking in defeat tries to hide in shame. It's a sign of hopelessness and weakness. But here in Psalm 3, verse 3, even though David was feeling sorrow, even though David was feeling shame, he was feeling pain of his situations. David declares, you are my glory. 
the lifter of my head. That word glory can also mean splendor and honor. But I, I really like the translation. It says, you are my dignity. That you are my glory can also mean you are my dignity. You see, when we find our identity in Jesus Christ, when we find our purpose and who he's made us to be and what he's called us to do, nothing the world can say can rob us of our dignity. Nothing. Because our dignity isn't measured by the standards and values of the world. Our dignity is measured by a higher standard. A standard the world can never aspire to live up to because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only reason why we are able to rise up to that standard is because of Christ and his sacrifice that we're made right with God. Through his righteousness being imparted to us that we have a hope to meet that standard. And when we come humbly before God, it's he who lifts us up in honor and in dignity. The standards of the world are evil. And the people of God should never feel ashamed to choose God's ways over the ways of the world. To choose holiness over sinfulness. See, the world pushes us down, beats us down, because we don't live according to their standards. But he who is my glory, my dignity, is the one who holds me up. The one who holds my head high. And a person who walks with a head lifted high is a confident person. And a confident person is a powerful person because a confident person recognizes they're winning. They're winning. And we win. We win, church. We win. Verse 4, David says, I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Salah. Think about that. God does not answer the wicked. The prayers of the wicked fall on deaf ears. Think about what this means for you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Think about how who you are is defined by whose you are and the relationship that you have. Your maker, your creator is holding you with everlasting arms. He's protecting you. And when you call out to him, guess what? He answers from his holy mountain. God responds because you are his child and his children are wrapped up in his everlasting arms with never-ending, never-failing love. The song we just sang earlier, Victorious, comes from Psalm 27, and it echoes David's words here in Psalm chapter 3. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord and the one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For there he will conceal me, when troubles come, he will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. And then I will hold my head high. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. When you are a child of God and your faith is in the Lord. Your identity is in the Lord. Your purpose is in the Lord. When you find your dignity in the Lord, you will walk with your head held high because God is the one who is going to raise it. You have a relationship that can never be severed with a father who is always faithful. And you commune with a spirit that in you produces a spirit of power, of love, and a focused and rational mind in your life so that you can discern between the truth of God and the lies of the enemy. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The child of God has a sense of security because God is our shield. And that goes, that security goes beyond any other understanding. David declares this truth about his relationship with God in verse 4 of Psalm 3. Uh, in uh, 5, he says, in uh, verse 5, he says, I laid down and I slept, yet I awoke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. There's a sense of security for the child of God. So how was it that David was able to get sound sleep when the enemies were surrounding him, when he was under attack, when he felt the pressure of the lies of Satan? It's because those whose God is the Lord have a kind of 
holy confidence. A confidence that knowing that no one can open doors God has shut and can shut doors God has opened. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And when you're full of faith, there won't be any room for fear because of whose God is in your heart. Fear holds us back, but faith moves us forward. And we can continue to move forward because the attacks of the enemy will not prosper. David declares this truth as he calls out for God's deliverance in verse 7. He says, Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all the enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. He's crying out for God to silence them once and for all. Verse 8, he says, For victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. You see, in spite of all the things David experienced, in spite of all of his failures, all the consequences of his sin long ago, in spite of his son killing another one of his children and now trying to overthrow and murder him, in spite of losing his kingdom, in spite of being exiled into the wilderness, and every other example that we could use to justify him succumbing to his fears, his grief, and his circumstances, the things that we could use to justify David giving up and just deciding to go his own way, what did David do? He sang. He worshiped. He continued to get up each day to move forward in faith. And he was able to take step after step after step because of what he believed, because of the deep connection he had with God deep down in his soul to the point that his soul sang this song. In the face of all of his struggles, this song just flowed out from his heart. And by singing this song, he encouraged, encouraged his heart to remain focused on God's promises, on God's love, on God's faithfulness. In spite of all his fears, he knew God was faithful. And so now Psalm chapter 3 has been left here for us to remind us that no matter what we face in this life, church, there is no reason to fear. Because through Jesus, we're going to survive. We're going to overcome. We're going to make it in this life or the next. And someone here today, just in my heart, I know you're tired of living in fear. You're tired of fear holding you back from the things you know God wants you to do from your destiny. You're tired of being slave to your struggles. You're tired of feeling trapped in this sense of hopelessness and powerlessness. You're tired of stagnation. You feel like your life's not going anywhere. You've been trapped in that. It's because you've been meditating on your problems, not his promises. You've remained focused on your negative situation, your circumstances, allowing the enemy to rob you of your faith and your joy rather than focusing on God's power and his greatness, allowing confidence to fill your life. Today, if that's you today, you need to make a move. Today, you need to begin walking faith forward. You have a God who's given you a shield. Your faith will protect you. Your God will sustain you. What is there to fear? What are you waiting for? Scripture says if he is for us, what? Nothing can be against us. It's time to get up on your feet. Quit looking around to the ground in fear, in shame, and being Weighed down by your burdens. Raise your eyes to the heavens because that's where your help comes from. From the maker of heaven and of earth. It's time to make your move. It's time to begin to advance. It's time to take a step in faith and see what God is going to accomplish in your life. You might have to flee from where you've been stagnant in order to follow God to the place where you're going to thrive. But that's okay because victory is found with faith forward people. He's the source of your dignity, not what man thinks about you. God is the bringer of your success, not what plans man can create. Victory comes from the Lord. It's time now to get up, to get going. Don't delay. Take a step. Make your move. And in the process of going, when discouragement comes, because it'll come, the enemy surrounds you on every side, let your mouth sing to remind your heart of this truth. That God has got you. God has got you. What are you facing today? 
God has got you. What are you worried about? God has got you. What are you struggling with? God has got you. This psalm has brought me a lot of comfort through many different situations. God directed my attention to it several years ago, right at the right time, when I needed it most. And it just so happens it wasn't in my daily devotions or Bible study that I stumbled across this uh, passage of Scripture. It was actually when my church choir at the time sang a song that was written directly from this Scripture. The song was originally written and performed by the Prestonwood Church. And every time I think about this passage of Scripture, that song resonates in my heart. And I can't help but feel the emotion of that time and, and sing along. And so today as we close, as I want you to, to focus on that truth that God is your shield. He's got you. We're going to listen to this song. And my prayer is today that it motivates you to take that step. That it becomes the anthem of your heart as you leave this place, knowing that whatever God has called you to, he will see you through. That encourages you to make a move, to take a step, to believe that God has you. That it's okay to venture out into the unknown, into the scary parts of life. That's okay. Because God has you. To challenge you to begin walking faith forward today.
shield, for being our dignity, and the one who holds our head high. God, may we never get weighed down in depression, down into the negativity and the lies of the enemy, God, that we would always combat those lies with the truth, that we would see our lives through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the promises in your word. God, that we would declare those over our situation. God, for those struggling even now, for those who are facing problems at work and problems at home, God, I pray that this promise would just reign over their lives today, that it would just cover them today in a holy cover. God, and that we would be encouraged in our souls in this place today. God, we worship you. For you, O Lord, are the shield for me, the glory and the lifter of our head. Now send us out now in the power of your love and with a sound mind and a heart focused on you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All God's people said, amen, church. Thank you so much. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week.